And uh, I don't know how much you know of that story or uh, what you know of, of Kevin's involvement with that or, or where you're at with that. I know that, that you've uh, uh, been on Twitter interacting with the Sandia crew a bit. Sure. He, he's tell told me, me where you're at and what you need to know. Well, he's told me quite a bit about both of you. Uh, well, oh. when I say both of you, I meant you, your husband, and right, uh, and the crew, and the crew, yes. And actually, before any, before I even talked to Kevin, I actually uh, was following the the uh, Twitter group. I thought you were. Yeah, for a while, and yeah, uh, of course, I I looked further into it. I was already puzzled and intrigued. I knew what I, ha- I, I knew I had to bring you on to the program, Sue. Okay. Yes, <laughs> and you've got quite the resume. Uh, the whole psychic reading for uh, re- the medical intuitive stuff. The, I do. The pre-med and, and, work mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. What, what exactly was it that made you follow this path in life, Sue? Was there um, a, was there a certain... My friends kicked me in the seat of the pants and said, <laughs> you're better than the oh. people we go pay to see. Why aren't you doing this for a living? And I had zero experience with anything paranormal at the time. I had learned to meditate. That was it. And I just knew that growing up, I was a little bit different than most people. And I'd been a contactee my whole life. Ah, there we go. But, but um, that, uh, and I cannot say that my contactee experience didn't enhance my psychic skill set. I, I think that there is something to that, exactly what or how, I, I can't profess to know. But when I was in my late 20s, just before I turned 30, Mm. I got presented with the concept that the information that I thought was imagination my entire life, I, the, the information visually that I'd been picking up when I closed my eyes at night, I had no idea the level of detail that it had until I started to talk to people about it and get feedback from them. And then when I did that, because of the feedback that I got from the people that knew me well, they when I said, who would pay for something like this? And they said, all kinds of people. You have no idea. And I said, you mean people would pay me to answer them questions? And I went, okay, let me, I don't know. And so I really had to think, to think, to think about, think about, about it and research it and have a talk with myself about it and decide what I wanted to do with it because I was trained in science and I was a skeptic and, and I didn't want to do anything that I didn't feel was worthy or worthwhile for somebody else to to consult me for. And so I practiced for a year and volunteered with the idea of people giving me feedback before I ever opened my doors. And then I started saying, okay, if I've been given this, I better do something good with it. And I began to volunteer on missing person and murder and investigation cases. Oh, so you were involved in doing that that kind of work. I was volunteering doing that Ah. kind of work. Mm-hmm. And then had several um, television uh, production facilities contact me, asking me if I would be on this show or that show. Was the, when um, when was this, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Oh gosh, I started um, part time in 1990. I went full time um, in 1991. So this is year 27. <laughs> you know, since you're bringing up the 90s, it automatically yeah. my mind goes to Sylvia Brown yet again. Oh, yes. My and mind always goes there. She was very big at that time. Very she popular. Was. Yes, she was. She was a very popular author, and she put out a number of things, and she had her own take on things, and I believe her son was involved. And at the time, she, even back then, she was uh, uh, doing quite a bit of work, uh, both on radio and television and her authorship and book signings and conferences. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, she, um, she followed on the heels of Jean Dixon. I grew up with the era of Jean Dixon as the, mm-hmm. the astrologer kind of famous psychic person that was well known before Sylvia Brown's era came in to play. So, yeah, that probably dates me, doesn't it? That's all right. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. So it's, it's, I grew up with no background of the paranormal. My family was conservative. I grew up in church. Normal uh, then. You know, it was a religious sort of yeah. thing. I was living in the Bible Belt. And so I did not have any knowledge of all of this area. And I just developed my own system. And it worked because, you know, I follow the school of if it works for me, 
and I can prove it to myself, then I feel more confident working with police departments and FBI and GBI. And Certainly. And all by, the, those three letter agencies. By, by the way, Sue, let, let's backtrack just a little bit here. Can you tell me about your first contact? Oh, gosh. Uh, the first one I remember, I was recall. between age three and four. Three, but three and four, how do you, how can you remember that? That's because such a long time ago. it was such a stark experience. It was that powerful. The, it was that powerful. I see. Okay. Because I was not at my own home in Iowa. My family had gone to New York State up by Niagara Falls area, up by the Canadian border, to visit my grandparents. And it was the first time I remember visiting my grandparents' home in rural New York. And we stayed in a bedroom that was not my normal bedroom in a house that didn't have my normal house smells. And so my my sleep was probably not as deep as it would have been at home. However, I starkly remember being frightened to death watching a reptilian walk through the wall at age three to four. That's that's terrifying. It it, it woke me up so much and scared me so much. I must have gone from, you know, being asleep up to fully awake because that's when experiencers or contactees tend to snap out of any kind of control that ET has done or telepathic stuff or shift from dream state memory to conscious memory. When you shift from that alpha or alpha theta state or even the delta state, dream state. Yeah, those brain waves. Up to waking state. And then you're, you're in waking state. And so your memories get stored differently with a different brain chemistry into long-term recall instead of short-term recall. And so my memories got stored into long-term recall. And it was so frightening that it, it was one of the distinct memories of that era. And so that's, that's the earliest one that I know of. Um, I do remember being in first grade and having to close the closet door so that the grays wouldn't come out of the closet to visit me. That yep. was a first grade would have been what, six? Yeah. Okay. And then I remember being, um, going to camp at age 10 and being in a camp in rural Iowa and being visited at the camp and having the entire group of or cabin of girls that I was staying with at the time for the week long, you know, campfire camp, also witness the lights in the sky, including whoever our camp counselor was. And she was trying to write them off of, it must be a UFO. It must be, or maybe it's a helicopter. Or And, and she tried to change her story because she realized that she was freaking out some of the girls. And so I remember that only because it was very strange to have an adult say one thing and then suddenly change it when I know what I heard the first time. Right. And, and Sue, by the way, when all this was uh, going down, did you ever tell your parents about these experiences? And if you did, how did they take it? Oh, uh, no, I did not. Oh, you kept it covered. I know that I remember telling my dad and mom mm-hmm. that people came out of the closet. Oh, yes. Okay. And, and they chalked it up to the same thing as monsters under the bed. Right. And so they just humored me and, Close the closet door or let me get up and close the closet door. I never got to the point where I had to go to sleep with the lights on, but even into adulthood. I got to sleep with the closet. I had to sleep with the closet door. I got to, yeah, even Isn't today, I, I got to do it. I can't sleep with the closet door open. That's kind of. Isn't that a strange one? It's kind of so creepy. That was a residue of that era or time frame for me. I, but that's I the earliest. Yes. And then, um, I had a very unusual visit from an interdimensional being when I was 17. That's the next one I can remember. And then, gosh, I got a gap of, wasn't until 1998. And, and by the way, Sue. Yeah. When all this was going on, did you notice having these traits of a higher level of ESP? I noticed that, yes. I know, I, I noticed had that amongst. A heck of a lot right. more weird stuff go on than any of my other friends by far. You yes, know, I did. I've always, I've always thought it was pretty strange that those who have been in contact or visited at one time or another have seen something. It seems like these individuals always possess this higher level of ESP. Well, and, and there's, there may be an explanation for that, Michael, and I don't know that I have all of it. I may have a piece of it. And what our extraterrestrial Ponte friends tell us is that 
when there is a strong telepathic contact established between a telepathic nation and Earth humans. Once that first strong contact happens, your brain remembers that vibe, if you can say it that way, that um, uh, reception, whatever reception it is that you right. want to call it, and it it remembers that wiring, so to speak. And so then from then on, your own recognition of when that nation is around is heightened and their own ability to communicate with you is heightened. You guys both have a stronger connection. Yes. You can hear each other easier. And so I think... Vibrational that connection. That, yeah, if you want to call it vibrational, you can. Mm -hmm. But that telepathic established connection once makes it much easier for you to reestablish it a second and a third and a fourth time. But we are also finding with regular contactees that there are other abilities, whether it's their artistic ability or their musical ability or their organizational ability at work, but their other skill sets seem to also improve Yes, in many areas. And they... Uh, it's been a spontaneous topic that people have presented to me, having being the translator for the Sandia group, that they've spontaneously either direct messaged the Sandia group or written to Otter and I and said, have you guys noticed an enhancement of other things? I'm having these other weird things go on. They're not bad. They're all good, but it's just strange that they all came on the top of this. Yeah, I bet those lucid dreams were really bothering them. Uh, it, they they started to talk about remembering. Oh, yes. And having more details. Very common traits. Yes, it is. By the way, and do you, so by I the way, when you. It's a side effect somehow. Sue, by the way, when you dream, are you dreaming in color or in black and white? Always in color. Interesting. I do both. Yeah. Um, it, do you dream in color or black and white, Otter? He's thinking. He's thinking. He a says a both. little bit of both. Too. Yeah, it's a little bit of a combination I've noticed yeah. myself. And by the way, speaking of Otter, uh, how's he doing? Can you can you bring him over here for a second? Yeah, Otter, can you come over here for a second? You might have to go grab that other headset. Yeah, he might have in. to. He might he we might could, need to. We we could do. Well, I can put the pigtail back in, and we can plug you back in if you need. He's waving off me. Come over here and put this headset on. Michael wants to talk to you for a sec. Yeah. All right. I'm just going to trade the headsets because he doesn't do, want to do the falderall of uh, that's okay. yes. the, the, the wiring for adding an additional headset. So I appreciate it, by the way. Hang Thank on. you. All right. He's pulling up a patch of blanket to make a spot here. Nice. All right. Otter, this is Michael. Michael, this is Reverend White Otter. Here you go. Oh, hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? Uh, not too bad this evening. Yes, I, I was just curious. Now, how did all this for you, uh, how did all this come into your life? Were you just another normal citizen like Sue, or were you always into these things? And how did you meet Sue? I, I think everybody wants to know. Everyone loves a nice little love story here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Sue and I met in this sacred indigenous ceremony back in 2012. Uh, I had been seeking information about the uh, uh, sun dancing and sun dancers and uh, was invited to a, an indigenous sun dance in Iowa mm. where she resided. And uh, we ended up uh, working in the kitchen for eight straight days together, feeding 150 people instead of participating in the Sundance because nobody else was around. And at that time, uh, I had recently retired from professional cooking. Uh, and so I had a pretty good idea what it took to feed a couple hundred people in the woods with no electricity. That's very nice. And I didn't. <laughs> and Sue's looking at me with a jaw on the ground going, how do we do this? And I said, just do what I tell you to do. And uh, we pulled it off. Said I'm great. Had a good time. And subsequently uh, did it the next year after that. And 
But during the ensuing year between 2012, the summer of 2012 and the summer of 2013, we spent a great deal of time conversing on the telephone long distance. I was living in New Mexico where we reside now and have been for since uh, 2000 and late 2005. Uh, but uh, as far as being an experiencer, yes. uh, I've had a little bit of experience with uh, spiritual nature of uh, either paranormal experiences or extraterrestrial since I was a young man, about 10 years old. Yes, isn't it interesting how both of you come together? Well, the thing that's like interesting fate. about the two of us is we kind of interlaced our backgrounds. Hers being down, down a more, uh, uh, I guess you would say, Celtic, Celtic background, and mine being more an indigenous or shamanistic background. So... Yes, right. I had seen a photo of you, and I thought, he looks like a shaman. Well, I that's where my study started. Of course, I did study a lot of Eastern uh, uh, energy modality work, too. Ah, yes. Yes. Well, well, thank you for that. I did just want to get you involved here in the program. I did hear you in the background, and I thought, might as well get him in here. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you get back with Sue, because she's got all the information on the pod team and stuff. Yes, honor to speak to you, my friend. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. Hi, Sue, how are you? <coughs> Hello again. Yes, welcome back to the program here. And we were talking about all sorts of uh, interesting things here. And another thing I did want to just briefly ask you about was um, with, with healing, the topic of healing. I've always wondered if it truly works, if, if it doesn't. Personally, I, you know, personally, I've never experienced anything of that nature, and I keep an open mm -hmm. mind uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, the universe, the multiverse, the omniverse, mm -hmm. wh whatever you want to call it. It works in mm -hmm. mysterious ways. That's true. Yes, in ways that we we're still um, trying Figuring to out still trying to comprehend. Right, that's right. We're yes. trying to to piece together the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual components that make healing. Possible and or even make unusual healing right possible. and healing has been around for centuries the egyptians were mm -hmm. very into it uh, mm -hmm. even early christians of course were mm -hmm. into it you had the royal touch you you know you and you you get it yeah it's been sure. around forever but personally i've never experienced it how were you introduced to uh healing uh sue by the way oh golly um i was raised in a Methodist church and taught that unconditional love existed and that Christ consciousness worked. Okay. And, and that rang true to me, although I did not have any experience with, you know, charismatic sort of healing I see. Yes. in that sort of an environment as some people did in a Christian environment growing up. But I knew that it existed and I'd heard reports of it like most people. It wasn't until I began studying uh, the Lakota spirituality because I happened to stumble on a local group of traditional people who met and followed the Lakota Red Road spiritual path in a very traditional manner under the um, studying of a traditional medicine man that came down from South Dakota. That medicine man happened to move down to within 20 miles of me. And when he heard about me, he wanted to meet me, okay? So I got invited to meet and begin participating in sweat lodge ceremonies. And began, he began teaching me some things and in turn began asking me about my work, kind of understanding the differences between how we communicated with spirit. Right. So that was, that was his curiosity with me. It was during and, and with him that I saw their methodology of, of taking care of the physical, the emotional, the spiritual aspects of healing each and every time someone came to them that, and, and saw how it worked to take care of old wounds that people were still carrying and kind of clean them out from the inside out and open them up to the possibility of receiving assistance from 
what we'll just call in general the unseen world. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can use any term that you would like from any spiritual or cultural background you want, but essentially you're talking about something you can't see with your eyes that you're attempting to communicate with via prayer or some other methodology and asking for assistance. Okay, that's the methodology that we saw with the spiritual aspect of the Lakota work, but they also address the emotional and require these people to tell their story and require them to contact friends and relatives to ask for assistance in their healing process. That was part of, part of the deal. And in doing that, that sharing process involved other people, involved them opening up and being vulnerable. We saw the physical aspect in not only the sweat in a sweat lodge and cleaning out impurities, but things that uh, traditional healers used that were natural, that had been used for centuries, that worked in a different way than the pharmaceuticals that we grew up with in uh, North American culture. But we saw them work in combination with addressing the emotional and the spiritual as well. Did I see miracles happen? To be honest, yes, I did. Really? Yeah. What happened? No kidding. Um, had a gentleman come down from the Minneapolis area and had four tumors in his lungs that were not small. And he was in a really um, hard marriage and unsupported. And so when he came to seek healing from the medicine man. He came by himself. And the medicine man opened up his house, and this guy lived with him for three, four weeks while he received uh, um, uh, sweat lodges and and, uh, good diet and and herbal help and talking through and counseling and the spiritual aspect of things. And so for four weeks, this man lived a, a very healthy lifestyle with the medicine man and received healing on a daily basis, a little bit of of all of the above. And when he ended up leaving and going back to Minneapolis and checking in with his oncologist, the first thing they did was check his his tumor size. And the tumors were gone. That's scary. And he was jumping for joy. That And his oncologist said, I don't know what you were doing. Right. Would you please tell me, and then would you please keep doing it? And that was not the only story. We we saw a number of uh, things happen. And I can tell you that I saw with my own eyes in the darkness of a completely black ceremonial space, fog white images forming shapes in front of my nose that I had no explanation for. Sounds and movement and touch to my own body, not just what I was hearing of the other people, but touch that I could not explain from locations that made no logical sense. So I saw and experienced things that I had no explanation for, even though I searched and searched for one. So when I experienced unusual things just once, I couldn't say this is a pattern. Yeah. But when I saw it time after time after time, I began to understand, okay, okay, there are some people that can really do this. I'm not going to say everybody can, but I am going to say I saw people who could really bring it, bring that connection. Understood, invite yes. Invite those people in, invite that unseen world connection to the point where it didn't come from them, but I guess you could say it came through them. Right, right. And speaking of the world work or the universe rather working in very strange and bizarre ways, there was a gentleman now that I'm thinking about it now, a truck driver. I believe his name was Edwin Robinson. Uh, he claimed, Sue, that his sight and hearing were suddenly restored when he was struck by lightning. And this was uh, back in 1980, I believe. Oh, I can tell you stories, all kinds of unusual stories. That is pretty weird, though. The people that have been struck by lightning that I have spoken with, let's see, in my career, it's probably been a half a dozen people. That these people play the lotto afterwards. No. But many of them had skill sets turned on that they had no explanation for. Interesting. There was a clairvoyant by the name of Greta Alexander in Illinois. Mm-hmm. She's passed now. But she was struck by lightning when she was newly a newlywed. Uh, brass bed uh, next to chimney, attic of house, 
chimney not grounded well enough, lightning comes down the chimney straight into the bed. Jeez, can you believe that, by the way, Sue, just out of nowhere being struck down by lightning? What luck. Uh, yeah, if you can call it that. Right. But the the after effects that are physical are not easy on people because there are residual after effects of lightning strikes that are not easy on the nervous system, the cardiac system, or even the blood system. Right, I can your, imagine. Your ability to produce uh, hemoglobin can get compromised too. So it, it's it's a weird one. And so what you know that high voltage does or that lightning strike does is is a real good question as to what it's going to do in the body, but it's going to do something dramatic if people survive it. They do tend to have some really unusual things happen. Oh, yes. And so uh makes you wonder of the it, mechanism. It really does. And It really does. Moving along we go here. Let's get into uh, New Mexico. What is it about New Mexico that just keeps sucking people back in? And, of course, what's going on in the skies out there? Everyone oh. everyone has stories. and Oh, boy. Especially, okay, so yes, Dose and New Mexico. New Mexico. I've mm-hmm. never been here. I'd lived in Iowa for 50-some years. And I'd, I'd gone to the Four Corners once as a child, but never really traveled through the state. Okay, Right. Not that I could recall. And so when I came... I was unfamiliar with the desert environment, and that was fascinating. And I was coming from flatland, middle of Iowa, cornfield, soybean belt. So mountains, there are no mountains like that in Iowa. And so seeing all of these different kinds of topography was and different eras and epochs and events, everything from the Great Rift to the volcanic stuff to um, evidence of huge floods, to the dry, dry areas that haven't changed in thousands of years because there hasn't been that much rainfall or, or when to change them. And then the stories of all the Pueblo peoples. So what we, what I found coming down as a brand new person absorbing all this for the first time is one, you have an area that is very, very old as far as inhabitants remaining in the same place for thousands of years and still living in that spot. You have those inhabitants, those Pueblo peoples, have a historic contact on a pretty regular basis right? with the Star Nation folks. Because even before the Pueblo folks were here, the previous age of man had built a tunnel system, and the Ponte or the E.T. said, colonize parts of the tunnel system and revitalize them to use. And so some of the E.T. nations were here and established since the time of, of what our Pueblo friends called the Great Walk. And what they refer to is their most ancient prayers and stories refer to coming up the Colorado River from the Pacific after the last big flood and being led by the Star Nation people and then coming up the Little Colorado into New Mexico and then establishing where they're going to live. And so they were brought to their current residential homes by the Star Nation people after that flood, according to their own prayers. And so since E.T. helped them then, I think E.T. probably stuck around and kept tabs on them. But we do have and we do know of a number of facilities, underground facilities, that are not earth human. That are here in New Mexico. Yes, I was just about to ask you about that. Yeah, what do you want to know? Yeah, stories have come from Dose for a long time. We all recall Paul Benowitz and his story with the underground bases, along with uh, Phil Schneider. Mm-hmm. You you recall those uh, those those stories of okay? Now underground... I know mm-hmm. some stories, and right. here's what I'm going to tell you. Go ahead. I came into all of this not having read any ET or UFO material books, authors at all, because the covers of them scared me to pieces, and I couldn't even pick them up and buy them. That's understandable. Okay, so I came into this knowing nothing about any of these authors' stories, and I got all my information from the Sandia crew. Otter was the same way. 
He had he he wasn't read in any of these authors either. And so we've had to learn some of these authors' names. And one of those authors, and I can't remember which one, I think was a construction or contractor who was supposed to go up to Archuleta Mesa and do some work and broke through to an area and there was a gun battle. I don't know if that was one of the stories you were talking about. So I don't know those authors or their stories to be sure. But you heard of these stories though. I have heard of, I know of some um, reports of ET bases from external sources, not the Sandia crew, vaguely, but not by reading their books or hearing them tell their stories. It's just kind of a third-hand gossip. Oh, yeah, people always talk about the bases underneath Archuleta Mesa around Dulce. We heard some of that. And Oh, yeah, and the MUFON. We did attend one MUFON meeting where they were talking about that here. And so, oh, MUFON meetings in New Mexico? Good idea to attend fascinating stories. All those uh, retirees from Sandia Labs and Los Alamos that are in their 80s and 90s now? Yes. They have really fascinating personal stories now. Yeah, those are the stories you want to hear. Yeah, and you do hear them here Mm -hmm. from your neighbors. It's, It's amazing. So has there been a lot of historic ET stuff go on here before Caucasian people ever came to North America? Oh, of course, of course. Oh, yeah. So historically, our Pueblo uh, friends, and there are many Pueblos, um, another word for reservation is Pueblo, in New Mexico where these people are on their ancestral lands that the Star Nations originally gave them. And those people, and some of them, still go to sacred places that they know of and offer gifts to the Star Nations and talk to them and say thank you to them. They used to exchange seeds. I don't know if they still do. There are some things that we don't ask. Right. But we do know that there's still interaction. We do know that one of the Pueblos regularly went to the Sandia Mountain to exchange gifts with the Zetas that live beneath the Sandia. They tell those stories. Yes. I didn't know that coming down here. But it was a nice confirmation when I heard it. <laughs> right, right. And uh, by the way, um, before I ask you about the Zeta gang, yeah. let, let's go back to 2011 when things yeah. were doom and gloom. And this sort of message was plaguing the airwaves for a long time. Um, many people believed there would be a major change, a post shift in 2012. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. Yes. Um, what will there ever be? an event of that magnitude in the coming years? Well, I guess what we have learned is that the axis tilt wobble is already shifting, changing, and that the speed of the change of the location of the magnetic North Pole, that speed of change has now gone off the charts of even the predictions of of, of NOAA. Because they put out a bulletin in March saying, uh, guys, this has gone beyond what we predicted and our models aren't going to be real accurate. Um, we need your input. And they put it out to all the um, magnetic weather watchers and researchers around the planet. That was, that was March 21st. We do know that the magnetic pole change is shifting dramatically and we've been told by the Sandia crew about the tilt shift affecting part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it also is magma coming up closer to the surface, heating parts of the bottom of the ocean differently. And that, so what, what there's, what the Conti are telling us is that there is, uh, of the magma core kind of a, um, more liquidy, outer, hotter layer that's shifting things faster, less viscous than what's beneath it. And so they're seeing almost a slipping action. We're trying to describe a slipping action for oh, the yeah. magnetic mm-hmm. north. And that. so I do think that we are seeing some of the effects of that in our climate change. I see. But what's tied into what? That we don't know. Right. We do know that the Ponte are saying your weather patterns will change enough that it will affect your food production. Please get yourselves ready. 
the weather will change enough that will affect your ocean levels. You're going to need to start planning now to getting those populations moved to higher ground because they're going to be have their feet in the water pretty soon. Yes, and... And so we're seeing that in Florida. We're seeing, quote, sunny day flooding. Yeah, I was fishing for an end end of days type scenario since th- that is the name of this program yeah um, um as far as but i mean we kind of, of days traumatic dramatic yes um that's a real good question well and, i mean and i don't have all the answers yeah and sue maybe really we're don't. maybe we're seeing that in 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 hawaii right now it's maybe the well, end of days for them <laughs> and their homes Clearly, we want to be careful with the sulfur and yeah. and mom nature and Pele certainly have a, a, a good log hold on the Hawaiian islands. And they're going to expand the islands when they want to expand the islands. And that's all there is to it. We just have to get out of the way. Um, some of those earth changes. Our planet is a living organism. And in some fashion, it has to breathe. It has to have earthquakes. It has to be able to shift its plates. It has to have an ability to move and flow and grow and and alter itself. Yeah. And that's going to cause earthquakes. It's going to cause change. Change is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Oh, yes. And where is the gang at? Are they around? Oh, there's always somebody over at the desk. The last time I tracked Judy was at the desk. Um, Radar was around earlier. I don't know if he still is. Who's over at the station, hon? I was hoping, I was hoping Radar was around. Grayson? Okay. All right, so we got Grayson, Peta, Drudy. She was on the desk earlier. She head out? Okay. All right. All right. So we had Drudy. Yeah. And, and she's been replaced by Teeny. And then Peta, and then Grayson, or Grace Beer. And then if we need to reach radar, we can, apparently. So we got, we got the ladies here. So you got anybody, any of those guys that you want to talk to? Tilkum is not there, and I don't see some of the other girls, but they're probably out doing stuff. Uh Uh-oh. So what do you want to know? Well, I, I wanted to know when will there be a mass contact, when will they actually present themselves to us? I think that's well, okay, what everybody there's, wants. There's two things going on. Um, there's preparation for the official first contact, the big worldwide uh, filmed footage, uh, 32 star nations, all everybody coming down at once, and, and one big meet and greet. Fall of 2021 is what they tell us unless they choose to move it up, okay? The other thing that they've told us is that between now and the beginning of 2021, you can expect a heck of a lot more personal contact that's allowed to be remembered and interaction that's what they're referring to as soft contact, meaning um, getting people to meet each other, introducing themselves to people that they choose and why they choose and how they choose. Not always sure, but people that they choose personally. Right. That they wish to um, get to know more. And almost like they weigh and measure these soft contact people to see if they hold up or, or, or are up to snuff maybe. I don't know. But they're looking for um, people who have they can term as emotionally honest that's one of their requirements is emotional honesty i see and so that's a tall order right for anybody and that takes a little practice it's taken otter and i a heck of a lot of practice oh and 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 otter just piped up from the corner that's one of the reasons why the primer was written and Mm. that why why we translated it for teeny the telepathy 101 primer yes and but I would say you're expecting mm-hmm. uh, the big contact, uh, at least by 2021, but other contact here and there and here and there as they prep people for it so that there is uh, a better response, maybe, um, so that one person can tell the next who can tell the next, you know what, I've met these people. You don't have to be scared of them. 
Yes, and and one other thing I did want to well, there's quite a few, but one yeah. thing I was wondering was back in the back to the uh, Phoenix Lights incident. Yeah, was that one of ours or was that something else? Boy, you know I've never talked to the gang about that. I'm the curious. Phoenix Lights incident was that their stuff or our stuff? Yeah, but I have I've never asked the gang about any of that. Oh, Otteris and 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 Teeny are both saying not theirs. Hmm. Now that's interesting. Then some um, there's a lot of activity in Arizona. Don't get me wrong. Oh, right, right. There are a number of stations and bases in Arizona. Don't get me wrong. There are some of ours because there are certainly underground Earth human facilities. And there are some of theirs, because we have an awful lot of unusual comings and goings in the Four Corners area, Navajo land, down in the Mogollon Rim, down at the southern end of Arizona, and then over into New Mexico, into the Gila. We've seen physical UFOs a number of places in the sky, daytime and nighttime, up close and personal, and and not not dinky little light in the sky that zips off either. I understood, yes. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here, but it's not just one nation. Understood. And how does one make contact with extraterrestrials? Well, what they've told us is a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, we are in the process of finishing up a book on exactly how to do that. Ah, interesting. How to hold your own CE5 event, and a CE5 is short for Close Encounter of the Fifth Kind. And a lot of your listeners have remember the Close Encounters of the Third Kind movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, so a Close Encounter of the Fifth Kind is not just seeing a being, whether it's a humanoid or an android or a robot, that's a, that's a CE3 or Close Encounter of the Third Kind. Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind is where something really weird happens or something trippy happens. Yeah. Something um, bends reality a little bit. Close encounter of the fifth kind is voluntary back and forth communication. You talk to each other. You chat with ET and they chat back. That's a CE5. So what you're doing is you're asking ET or some star nation to come down and, and reach you and meet you or talk with you. You're, you're asking for back and forth communication. And so We've had long talks with the Sandia crew about that in helping Earth humans get ready for official first contact. And so the first thing that Teokum did was introduce us to Tini, who then taught us and dictated the first telepathy coursework stuff that became the official telepathy 101 primer published online in December of 17 for free. And it's now available in 10 languages with another one in the pipeline. What we have is one of the first and the only that I know of Ponte or, or extraterrestrial earth human written collaboration dictated by them instructing earth humans. Here's how we'd like you to communicate with us. Here's the easiest way to get you started. This will help you. And by the way, when you do that, here's how we talk. Here's what you can expect. Here's how you know if, if it's not just your imagination. Here's how you practice. Right. And so what they did is dictate an easy-to-understand basic guide to what's the easiest, fastest, most efficient way to get you to the point where you can begin to trust when you receive a telepathic message from somebody else, okay? Because we're at the place right now in our culture where if I send Mary Jane Smith down the street a telepathic message, she's likely to think she's crazy. <laughs> yes. Okay? And so this changes that mindset from, okay, we're going to tell you that we're not here to prove to let the exist. We assume that you're here to learn how to do this, and we're here to teach that. You want to go run paranormal test labs or check the research, go do that. But this is what you do to get started. And so they gave a step-by-step -step guide, published it, and then proceeded to immediately 
start steering people together and getting them to practice together. And so in December, on, De- on the winter solstice, exactly to the minute, per their request, the Telepathy 101 primer was published in English and then French and Spanish and all the other languages. And then just a few weeks later, it was the first weekend of January that three of the Twitter followers of the Sandia group who had downloaded the printer and been talking to each other in the background online or via text or phone, decided they wanted to get together and practice. And when they did, and when the Sandia crew heard that they were going to do that, Radar and Grayson and Peter decided they wanted to show up. And so the original intent was just to get together and have fun and practice telepathy. What ended up happening was essentially the first E.T. pajama party. (laughs) Yes. Okay. And so our CE5, how to host your own CE5 event, how do you invite E.T. down, is now dubbed the E.T. pajama party book. Because really what we're doing is we're trying to get people past the this is a scary thing into the, all right, let's just consider these people as people. And here's how they say they would like to be invited. And so we go through everything that's been told to us, as well as what our contactees have experienced that has worked. Because now, because of the Sandia's request, the crew's request for a Twitter account, that was back in 2015. Yeah. They requested a, a Twitter account. That's interesting. They wanted to be able to reach people across the planet equally, instantly, that in a way that went beyond culture, border, religion, and was translatable. And Facebook and Twitter and that kind of social media fit that bill. They first started a Facebook account because I knew Facebook. I didn't know Twitter at all. I barely knew Facebook. I'm not very computer literate. And so when they realized after a month that it wasn't reaching the audience or allowing them to converse in a way that they desired, Raider essentially told Teokum that there was this thing called Twitter. So Teokum said, um, is it permitted for us to have an account like that? And I said, I don't see why not. And so I didn't know how to open a Twitter account. I knew nothing about it. I'd never been on Twitter. And here I was having E.T. ask me to open a Twitter account. <laughs> yes. And I'm going, okay. So I had somebody assist me in doing that. And then I just said, okay, you tell me exactly what you want me to type. I'm just going to be the translator. I don't want my voice on Twitter. Okay? And they said, that's fine. And so Tilkum began very slowly but steadily to introduce people to the idea that, you know what, if you look deeper, we're going to show you some things that will knock your socks off that you can't say no to. And we're going to show you how to do this. And we're going to show you how to talk to us. And we're going to show you we're just people. Right. And so very slowly they began the education of the Twitter folks, and, and they began to get a following. Yeah, and they do have quite a following on Twitter, They have actually. an interesting following. Oh, yes. And a very uninteresting, unique group on Twitter where people are spontaneously writing to the Sandia crew yeah. and saying, this feels like family. I don't know why I was steered to come here. I didn't believe it at first. But now that I see that it works, now that I've gotten a visit, now that I prove to myself that telepathy stuff works, now that I can't deny the archaeoplanet target the images, um, can we talk some more? And they, so they form friendships. And in conversation, these people just get all kinds of information that you just don't know what's going to come out of the party. I never know what they're going to say. And sometimes they'll say zingers that just spin my head around and make me go, you want me to say what? Okay, you're probably going to have to explain that to them, but okay. And so there's a lot of times they'll give us stuff that we have no idea it's coming, no clue. And sometimes they have to translate it to us and show us multiple images to explain it to us so that then we can help them choose the English words that are going to be best to provide the concept that they want. So that's where the translator part I comes I see, in. yes. It's not that they give us exactly the words all the time, 
because sometimes they have concepts that we have no words for at all because we don't have to even have the concepts. Yeah, some things are lost in translation, I'm sure. And so, yeah, it's can it can be an unusual job. Yeah, certainly. Now, how does the Zeta Gang feel uh, about society here in America? Confused. I don't blame um, them. Uh, the value system confuses them here. Right. Because they see in North America some of the richest people on the planet as far as disposable income, income of, that they can spend on wants, not needs. But they also see such waste and then such turning um, a blind eye, pretending to not see those in need on the other side of the world. That they don't understand. So they don't understand why our North American news doesn't talk about Asia and Australia and South America and Africa. That I it's see. not getting the needs of other places brought to the attention of all. That's understandable, yeah. And so they're saying, how do people make good judgment calls or decide things if they have no knowledge of it? And then now that this whole phrasing of fake news or uh, the changing of stories, this partial honesty and blatant dishonesty in leadership makes them just drop their jaw because in their culture, in many of the cultures, I'm not going to say all-star cultures, I'm not going to, but in the telepathic cultures, that's just not going to fly because everybody knows there's no hiding stuff. And so when somebody attempts to be dishonest and not care about hurting somebody else on purpose, it's a shocking thing to them. It's it's shocking. Yeah, it must be real foreign. They don't know how yeah. to respond. Yes, we, we moved um, far along from what we are supposed to be as a society, in my belief. Not going to disagree with that one either. I think when you stopped having neighbors help their neighbors, and we all began living in little isolated houses, right? And we didn't need each other. And yeah, we've gone away with we, all these, with all these. That's uh, right. All these. We're things. not helping each other anymore, and that's not serving us. We're not working together in play or in need, just to to make things work for each other. We're, we instead of calling Joe down the street, say, who knows a little bit about plumbing to come help you, you, you call the plumber. And so instead of the, tr the good trade concept, we've gone to the another system. And now that everything is online, many of our interactions that used to be in person, like purchasing your groceries, used to go to the grocer and look the grocer in the eye. But now, no, you don't need to do that. It's all electronic. That's true. And so there, you don't even go down and pick your own food, much less grow it. So there is, there is a, a, have the convenience aspect of many things and the isolation aspect I've seen increase in the last several decades. And a lot of the information that, the good information that you can get because of the internet and the computer age and the speed of that is nice. But so, when yeah. it's, coupled with and you don't know what to trust as to what's real and what's fake or if somebody's lying to you or not yeah that's the conundrum we face yeah mm -hmm. that is the conundrum so you got the speed of lies i don't know so you're right the changes are something that um i know that the Ponte have kept records in the sandia station for a long time and they have not been impressed by the changes that they've seen even in the last 50 years. Understandable. Yeah. And and for conversation's sake, how how do you feel and how does the Zeta gang feel about those who say contacting these entities is something that's demonic? Wow. I do not use the word demon lightly. I understand. It has to mm -hmm. be really purposefully negative to the point of feeding off of 
of the emotions of hate and anger and fear and creating those emotions on purpose specifically so it can feed. Yeah, let, let me let me tell you where, where I would draw that. Let me let me tell you where this stems from. I think a lot of people out there uh recall Alistair Crowley's uh the Amalantra workings where he contacted and manifested uh, an entity called Lamb. And okay. Lamb looks like a little gray alien. And many, okay. many people go to that and say, well, he was contacting this demon. So I think that's where a lot of people believe that these, well, the grays, I know that's not mm-hmm. a good term, mm-hmm. but that's, Our where, demonic yeah, that's so where it comes from. Here's what I know and what I can tell you from my own experiences. I have met more than one Zeta nation. I know not only from my own eyes seeing them in person, live and in the flesh, but also talking to them, that there is more than one culture and more than one planet and more than one species. Right. So that's the first piece. You cannot lump them all together and say they're all the same thing because they're not. I agree. When I look at the concept of demonic stuff, I look at the concept of something that, again, uh, is wrong-minded and and purposely injures or does not care about causing pain, fear, anger, um, or causing injury, hurting people physically, or hurting them by terrorizing them. All of those things that are done on purpose so that that entity could feed off of that energy. That's a demon to me. When I look at the actions of the Zeta nations, plural, that I have personally met, I cannot say that any of them were negative intending to injure in my experience. Yes. And in fact, quite the opposite, kind of bent over backwards to try to not scare me. And when I realized that, I started paying more attention to their gestures rather than anything else. If I was being scared to death because somebody was standing in my bedroom, was that my own startle response or did they actually take an action step that seemed to have malevolent intent? I cannot say that I have seen an individual attempt purposefully terrorize, harm, cause fear. And so when I weigh the actions that I observe of the Ponte, that's when I say, you'd have to prove to me that this is a demon because what I am witnessing are not those actions at all. And so tell me why you think that it is one or are you just being prejudicial? And so the other piece is, I know the backstory of Aleister Crowley from the people that knew him personally. And I don't trust what I hear from him. Understood. So um, coming from people who know people, um, I'm a little bit older than most. And so uh, I would challenge anyone who says that anything that comes through a doorway or portal, if you want to use that word, a door, that is unusual to them and just shows up just because they walk through a different looking door doesn't make them a demon. I understand. Yes. And so I would ask those people why they consider it a demon. And is that an automatic just because it's not looking like you and me? I'm with you on that one. And a few more questions here before we wrap up. Um, How does the gang feel about the whole alien genre in film? Do they do they like any of the films, or are they out of these things? <laughs> okay, so it's a mixed bag. They realize that um, our media has created quite a PR problem for them because suddenly there are portrayals that have gone around the planet of people that are not from Earth that are made of fiction that people are taking as fact. So now instead of passed down great legend, passed from father to son or medicine man to medicine man, of previous star nation interaction, it was real. Now suddenly you've got fiction dominating what they have told for humans. And you have 
the fact that Hollywood has to sell movies and TV ads. And so situations get exaggerated so that it looks better. It plays better. Right. So that, that stuff happens too. And so you have people believing exaggerated scenarios when in fact our star nation friends are going, that never happened. We don't do that. We don't always look mean that way. We don't always act like that. And so the misinformation campaign is something that they've been trying to um, figure out what to do about. Hence the increased soft contact so that people meet them in person. And remember to tell the tape. Oh, yes. And uh, Sue, I, I do want to thank you tremendously for being a part of the program. I don't want to take up too much of your time here, but it's been a pleasure as always. Not a problem. Not a problem. Glad that we got this to work out. And if you ever want to do this again, let us know. Of course. Um, our our uh, CE5 contact book is soon to be going to the printers. We're just about at that stage of the, the last of the final editing. And so we're hoping to have the ET Pajama Party book, How to Host Your Own CE5 Event, out and in uh, hard copy and available on Kindle within the next month or so. Yeah, definitely, le- yeah, definitely yeah, well, let, let me you know. know. Yeah, and I'll bring you back on here and we'll talk about it. That'd be fun. That'd be a great time. So. Uh, thank you very much again for, for, and thank you for having Otter and I. On. Yeah. Let Otter know that he is, of course, welcome here, uh, next time for, for a further, uh, duration time. Sounds good. All right. You take care and, All right, and have a good one. Let everybody know I, I, they have my blessing rather. I will certainly tell them. Thank you. All right. Take care. Good night. Bye-bye. And that was my guest, Sue Walker. Tonight's been a bit of a rattlesnake, hasn't it, boys and girls? Perhaps you might not have had all your questions answered here tonight, but every episode we receive several pieces of the cosmic puzzle. I'm Michael Deacon. Thanks for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like bullshit. Like, you can just see it. It's clear. <laughs> How appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they should exist before 726. Oh, Granny. I like Granny. I'm going to keep you real. A lot of good content. A lot of, a lot of cool topics. You know, I, I feel, you know, fortunate to have an opportunity. Speaking of really, really, you know, yeah, Mr. Rusev. That's him. I like that, man. It's, it's the simplest shit. You go in there, you see the buttons, and then you say, you're like, I'm just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you that I'm going to yeah, so have an incredibly well-rounded show. Introducing the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, Well, Michael, you know, uh... Life can be tough sometimes, and I, you know, I urge you to check out my website, thefacesofmars.com. You know, I talk, uh, check out my website there, talk about Miss Oakland and uh, what he's doing uh, that people need to know about.